Welcome to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, the podcast for HVAC contractors who are ready to quit screwing around and begin growing their business. Powered by Rival Digital. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders and become equipped with the tools and knowledge you need to build a world-class business. Now, here's your host, Eric Thomas. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Thomas. I am the host of the show. Uh, Thank you for tuning in again. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, uh, just a reminder, we kindly ask that you leave us a review on there if you find any valuable information out of this podcast to help you with your business. Um, And then if you're listening on other platforms and you find value, we'd love to just hear any feedback you may have for us. Uh, You can... You can actually reach out to us, podcast at rivaldigital.com. If you have any feedback, if you have any suggestions or, or uh, referrals for people that you would like for us to chat with. Um, speaking of which, we actually have a guest on the show today who was a referral from uh, one of our listeners. So we reached out and got him booked. So we are super excited to have him on the show today. And our guest is Rusty Cochran from We Care Plumbing, Heating, and Air. Rusty, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Absolutely. So, Rusty, uh, for those of you or for some those of our listeners who don't know you already, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to them and and tell them a little bit more about your history in the industry, uh, kind of the history of your business and and how you guys got to where you are at today? Well, I started in the industry. uh, My father taught me the trade. He worked for a company and uh, in the summer I was able to work with him side by side to help, you know, just uh, you know, whatever, probably get in the way more than uh, help, really, actually. But, but learn the trade from him, taught me the you know hard work ethic and all that kind of stuff, and doing the right thing for the customers. Uh, back then, we were primarily new construction as the company that we worked for, and really just you know kept uh, learning and growing. And by the time I was 25 years old, uh, I became the superintendent for the largest heating and air conditioning new construction company in Southern California. And, you know, from there, just became, uh, did that for a few years and that then became the general superintendent for the company, you know, running all the superintendents, which is very difficult because, you know, it's easy to get yourself to do one thing, but then when you're trying to get other managers to do, you know, repeat those things and hit uh, KPIs and so forth that we had back then, that's a little more tricky, but, you know, Mm -hmm. mostly it was all residential and then they put me into prior to becoming the superintendent, put me in commercial and I had had no clue about what I was doing there. But, you know, I was, uh, I was able to, I could talk to people without, you know, uh, you know, just PR basically kind of stuff like that. You know, I'd have to go to a job site meetings on uh, Mondays with the whole, all the trades that were on the school. We were building the La Quinta high school, which is a, uh, out in the low desert. And it was, a lot of, uh, you know, commercial duck and package units. I mean, duck work you can walk through in the gymnasium and the science center and oh. the uh, theater rooms and all that kind of stuff like that. But, you know, really had to learn that quick because about a month into my commercial background, not knowing anything than doing it, you know, they're asking, you know, go to job site meetings. Even though there was people on the job, journeyman smarter than I was. I mean, they were just, they would ask me questions and I'm in there you know, praying, please, God, don't have them ask me any questions. And it was like, you know, how's it going over here and there? And I'd have to go and tell them, you know, like, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't been there yet, Eric, you know, let me go over there this week and I will make sure I'll report back to you at the end of the today. 
So that way, you know, I could just, uh, and then they'd never ask you anyway and follow up. So it didn't really matter. I just had to be able to ask, answer these questions in front of about 30, 40 contractors in there and pretend like I knew what I was doing when I really knew nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, opened up, uh, you know, while I was there, we got bought by, uh, one of the manufacturers was doing heavy acquisition in the buying up heating and air conditioning companies and ours really never fit the model. It didn't make sense, but uh, it was, they ended up buying a new construction company left us really pretty much alone, except for accounting measures. They uh, changed that of course, but uh, so as a division of service experts, if I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with them, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a few years of that went by and, that was like an opportunity that, you know, I thought I would have had to go either run the company completely or move on to a, you know, another company to be able to run a service experts branch. But, you know, being that we were in that new construction world, they just kind of left us alone and doing our thing because it was a profitable business and all that stuff. And a couple of years went by, I don't remember exactly how many years, but uh, Lennox ended up selling off the whole service expert thing. And then our owner bought the company back you know, I'm sure for 10 cents on the dollar or something for a less yeah. value, but, yeah, um, yeah. you know, you know, it, there was really nowhere I was going at the company. So, uh, I mean, it was, uh, the owner was great to me, you know, uh, he brought in three of his uh, sons. So it was like kind of that dynamic of the family part. And I mean, it was, you know, treated like family, but at the same time, I mean, it was like, I'm not going to be able to really move up the chain. So, you know, I ended up getting my uh, license with a few of my, two of my friends. So there was three of us, which is, you know, it could be difficult. I don't really recommend it. It's a, uh, just because you don't want to ruin the friendship. I mean, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the problems mm-hmm. with, uh, with that type of thing. And uh, before we really officially launched, I chickened out and then just stayed where I was at. So that was 1997-ish, somewhere in that range. And ended up uh, going couple years uh staying at the company and then ended up opening up my uh we care plumbing heating and air in uh may of 2000 and then from you know that was just my wife and i opening up just like a lot of businesses do you know in an extra bedroom in the house and then the garage that's the office and the garage is your warehouse you know but really it was more like the front of my truck was my office and the bed of the truck was the uh, warehouse so we ended up you know, growing the company from that, you know, we were really started off with, again, new construction, because that's really all I knew, and ended up getting it from, uh, you know, just my wife and I, so I'm out there doing the, the whole field work, the service calls, and then doing, uh, you know, all the installs and the sales and everything else to get, to get us to where we're going. So at about 2000, it's about a year later, I hired my uh, first employee, which is very scary, you know, for those of you that have done it, there's really a couple of a couple of hires that are a little scary and one of them is your first employee just because i'm taking this person out of a company that's he's been busy all the time and you know he's got two kids and a wife and now i'm gonna hopefully be able to support this guy I take that very seriously to make sure when we're hiring we are keeping our people busy mm-hmm. for the right reasons and then as we grew as a few years went by you know i needed someone to manage the actual running the installs, uh, um, the new construction stuff and all that stuff. So I hired my first manager and that was, that was my second scary hire. Just, you know, we had, you know, whatever it was, half a dozen people, dozen people somewhere in that range. But then to hire that first manager was scary too, just because you're relinquishing the duties off 
to somebody else. And uh, again, can I afford this guy? Can I pay him to do a job that I was doing, you know, already, but in order for us to grow, you know, I had to be out there to sell different projects so we can keep on going. Mm-hmm. In about 2007, I met a, a, a great, really an icon in the industry. Frank Harrison owns, uh, owned the general heating and air conditioning out in the Palm desert area. And he was, a an amazing mentor to me that still is to today. Uh, you know, we have a great, almost like a father and son relationship. Uh, you know, he's in his high seventies, but somehow I became the uh, father of him. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> I'm a lot younger than him, but I mean, still, I mean, he's an awesome guy. It's just, you know, you go to a conference or something like that. It's the end of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, they're uh, kicking you out of the bar, you know, type of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got to bring him. Come on, Frank, it's time to go. <laughs> so anyway, my, my uh, wife and I, we adopted, you know, Frank and his wife, Charlene. So anyway, it's uh, been a great relationship, but he's a very open book. He was a new construction company that, uh, I mean, he was the third largest in Southern California where I worked. We were the largest in Southern California. And he re- dropped all the new construction completely and turned it into a service and replacement model. So with that, that's where we, I you know, ended up uh, going out to his office and uh, learning from what they were doing. I mean, he would give me everything I would need, you know, like, here's the, here's the KPIs for the industry. Here's, you know, job descriptions. Here's how you, you do all the, you know, the service replacement model. And the reason why I was like pretty intrigued was for two reasons. One, because he was doing the exact same thing. I was, my whole background is new construction. So he did that and shut it down and then opened up the service replacement model. And why it was Super interesting to me and anybody else that can probably relate was the fact that he was, I mean, that you're always waiting for payables. I'm sorry. So you're waiting for the, you know, the bills to be, you know, them to pay us, you know, and it's, it could be like a 90 day terms, even though you have payments, pay us right on completion, but, you know, they drag it out or you don't get paid at all, you know, change orders, Mm -hmm. you didn't get them signed. So, I mean, there's just a whole lot of that type of stuff. So the service and replacement model is uh, much more to our liking where we can actually go in there get paid, you know, render the services. Thank you for my payment and go to the next one. So, I mean, it, but it was a learning experience. I mean, we didn't just flip a switch and all of a sudden it took off. I mean, it was, uh, you know, flipping that, you know, slowly going into it in 2007. So really there's a crystal ball that I saw and uh, the economy crashed in 2009 you know roughly about a year and a half into this service replacement you know learning it so our revenue dropped significantly i mean it was we were doing about five million in the uh, custom home world and then you know dropped basically with the little bit of replacements we started doing in service you know we were now under two million dollars just because when 2009 hit as i'm sure listeners can you know understand that that whole new construction thing went bye-bye and then mm-hmm. everybody's out there doing whatever they could do. So, you know, it just kept growing the company through it. Those were our best years really after 2009, I mean, 2010, I mean, we just took off and then, you know, you hit some peaks, you know, in valleys as you're doing it, you know, we, we got to a, about a level of a uh, somewhere about the 17 million range. And it was, you know, great. We are growing, doubling every year for a couple of years. Can't double after so long, but mm-hmm. you know, then we get there, and all of a sudden, it just uh, wait a second. We need to rethink this, you know. And that's from a process, procedures, systems, management, you know, everything else. We all got to keep 
moving forward. So, you know, that's what you do. You retool, you rethink it, put some new systems in place, start growing again. And then we hit some more peaks and valleys as you get to another level. So the big thing with that is like, it's, uh, you shouldn't really have to hit those peaks and valleys if you're doing it proactively and looking like here's mm-hmm. where we to be and put that structure in place. So that's about where we're at. So enough yeah. talking. Really. <laughs> so yeah. that's where, as we kept growing to about 150 people and uh, yeah, two locations and, you know, still growing. Yeah. So what are some, what are some steps that you all do to proactively um, navigate those peaks and valleys? You know, so there's, you know, I'm not the greatest at all that type of stuff. You know, I'm more of the visionary mind. So I look at things and uh, this is what I want to do. But, you know, implementation is always the toughest part. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's kept us on track, and there's a couple of things, actually, you know, it's for one, it's join a networking group that can help you, you know, uh, you know, meaning that there's so many out there from, you know, service roundtable to next R, ACCA. You know, there's just a, several different ones. Anyway, mm-hmm. join something, be a part of something, because the people in those groups, if you can get into a peer group, you know, they're they're willing to share because they're in the same boat. You're probably in. I've already done it and they want to help and you can help them, too. So, I mean, that's part of it. The other one is, you know, plan ahead and do a business plan every year. You know, I mean, you could do like a five year plan, but every year look at that budget to see how you're doing you know, what to set it up for the following year. And then we have a a strategic meeting once a month to go over exactly where we are, you know, from the month before, how did we hit our goals? Did we hit them? And then, you know, what we got to do this month, if we missed it, or if we're ahead, whatever that looks like, you know, so it's, you know, following that pace report uh, really monthly. I mean, you got to do it daily. I mean, we're ready to report, but you got to have a roadmap to where you're going. And that's what I'm saying. Like you really, you know, as we grew, the mistakes that we made was to me, the revenue part is fun growing, meaning like, you know, you just see the sales are coming in, your company's going up, but well, we, we hit some pitfalls, which was, you know, the, as the revenue grew, the profit was going down. Mm-hmm. So you've got to really look at those, uh, those numbers and, and put those systems in place to make sure that as your revenue goes up, your profit goes right with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that making, um, a plan is usually the biggest challenge that a lot of people face when planning for, you know, the future, which is a great way to, you know, not have to have so many valleys in the, you know, entrepreneurship or in, in business ownership. Um, Cause you know, the, the, what they say is like, what got us here won't get us there. So if you keep doing what got you here to try to get there, well, you're going to hit way more valleys than peaks because you know, things change. So that's why I'm, I'm a huge proponent of like every year, especially like right now, this time of year, like November, early December time, like sitting down for a week and just going through everything and coming up with like a, a full plan for the next year, a roadmap. Uh, and, and it could change, you know, things always change, but, having a plan and then trying your best to stick to it and, and use that to hold you and your people and everyone accountable. Absolutely. Yeah. So there was something, something you said earlier, uh, kind of going almost way back to the beginning of the story when you were a superintendent and then you were like a general superintendent. So you went from managing, I assume managing technicians to managing managers of technicians. Is that right? Yeah, so, yeah, primarily it was, I was running, uh, you know, when I first got into this management thing, I mean, I'm 
25 years old, hair halfway down my back. And, you know, really, I guess, <laughs> you know, playing in a band and, you know, wasn't, I was never a leader in a company before. So, I mean, it was a whole new experience. Yeah. The owner was very, uh, you know, it was, uh, he was a tough uh, owner of the company. I mean, it was, you know, I don't want to say a dictator, but I mean, it was very, you know, it was, if you're doing good, you know, you're, you're going to be left alone and, you know, you don't really get talk to really at all you know what yeah. it's not i mean he's going to be on you so back then you know there was you know you, you got the big brick cell phone type of thing you know, the, <laughs> you know the mobile one in your car and then you got a pager you know and that was you know in a fax machine at your house yeah <laughs> email wasn't a thing so i mean it was you know learning all that stuff and uh, there's really really no training at all i mean it was like here's your jobs that you have you know and it might be you know, 30, 40, it was an area, it was a territory that we had to cover because we're covered most of Southern California. And I mean, it was, you know, here's your folders, here's your roster of your, your installers that you're going to be handling and, you know, go make it happen. And then, you know, I mean, that was really what you got. And then if you need me, it's an open door policy. Come on in. And I don't know if you ever seen the episode of uh, Seinfeld where uh, George Costanza goes in to go see George Steinbrenner. And he's like, you know, he has a problem and then you know george steinbrenner just starts on him blah, 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 and then george yeah. is slowly backing up like okay sir okay uh, thank okay you. and then slowly walking out the door like okay bye <laughs> so really i had to learn quick like okay there is i'm not going to get much help here i mean it was yeah. you know, i get your cell phones and pagers and you know you're coming in here looking for more you know type of thing <laughs> like, no i just i need people <laughs> yeah know? so it was a challenge um with that as far as it goes but again i mean like you know, he was a, a great guy, you know, hard. It was just, but it was, but that's really how I learned. I mean, it, you, mm-hmm. you sink or swim, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, I ended up moving forward and, you know, became the, you know, I had the great uh, numbers for the company, you know, uh, you know, with labor down at 7%, which is pretty unheard of, especially in track work. Yeah. You know, so I mean, seven and not counting burden, but just labor, and we were really graded on, you know, how much revenue do we do each week and what was our labor percentage? And that was all we really had. So when I opened up my company, I didn't know anything about these uh, key performance indicators and benchmarks and all that stuff. I mean, those are the only two I knew. And it was, you know, if you hire the right people, you don't have to worry about that. But you do. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you do have to watch it, you know, it's, uh, inspect what you what you expect type of thing. So that's where I was, you know, had to learn quick. Yeah. So what were some, I guess, what were some of the, like the biggest lessons learned um, when you first got into management, I guess, you know, outside of having to deal with kind of a difficult boss, if you will, and, and the challenges of, you know, of people, I guess, what, what was some of the, the biggest lessons you learned in regards to like communication and how to manage and deal with people? I think the hardest part for me was my age, you know, being young into that coming into management, everybody was older than me when I first started at the company. I mean, mm-hmm. we were a union company on top of it. So they had a plan journeyman that went through the apprenticeship program that spent four to five years of their life, you know, twice a week going to school. And now here's this young punk kid coming in long haired, you know, everything else and didn't go to apprenticeship school. I mean, I was on, there's an A plan and B plan in the union at the time. And I was on the B plan. So I wasn't, I didn't go to the apprenticeship program. But the uh, there's the owner said we're going to start doing commercial prior to me becoming in management, 
and said, would you like to be a part of it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Cause I knew the pay was great. The benefits were way better and everything else. So there's a resolution 78 that you just go down to the union hall and pay whatever it was, 2,300 bucks. And I become a journeyman where these other people spent four years of their life and I just <laughs> wrote a check. Yeah. <laughs> so I got the fast track. But the, so the biggest thing with that was like them understanding, like I was serious about doing my position and, you know, I mean, I got into like a, uh, a pushing match. I mean, like literally physical match with uh, one of the journeymen that was twice my age, you know, and they're separating us, you know, on the job site just because, I mean, I was frustrated because I'm like, I wouldn't leave a job like this. This, this is, you know, you've been doing this long enough. You went to apprenticeship. I didn't. And this is the crap kind of work you're doing. I mean, it was, you know, oh, the wow. wrong way to lead a team, but, yeah. I mean, but the one thing that they did see was like, Oh, this guy is serious, you know, the next that night or the next day, whatever it was. I mean, he called to apologize because he he was the one pushing it, promoting it type of thing, uh, you know, pushing my mm -hmm. buttons. How far could they push me? But it was really like just understanding that, you know, I'm here. I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. And if you have my back, I will take care of you. I mean, this will be, you know, and that's really what it turned into being was the, uh, the guy stayed with me for years. So it wasn't, you know, we got past it, but it was you know, then as time went on, then, you know, next thing you know, I'm probably more in the middle to the upper part of the age bracket. You know, yeah. I was there for 12 years, but starting at 25, I was the youngest starting. And then, you know, as it grew into it. So, you know, it was a, uh, it's a good learning lesson from that. It's just people look, I'm taking this serious and, you know, I'm a driver and that's what I do. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the disc profile, I mean, I'm a 99 D, but a, a really high eye as well. So in an adaptive style, my influencing eye will take over my D. Uh, but yet, you know, you know, it's don't push me too far. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, but most of the time, I mean, it's all about, you know, a great relationship and uh, it is really about the culture. And, and, you know, I take that part very seriously. Yeah. So what were some of the, I guess, what were some of the lessons learned earlier in your career that you carried with you over into business ownership when you started off We Care? Really looking at the results. I mean, in the beginning, when we opened the company, I really, we didn't, you know, it was just, we were just, I was happy to sell something because I've never was part of sales before ever. Mm -hmm. The thing is, like I said, I could go to those meetings and talk to the, you know, the other trades that were in there, but I didn't know all the management you know, or different leadership styles and all that type of stuff like that. I mean, it's really just thrown into something. So, but over time, then you look back on it and go like, oh yeah, that was a, a valuable lesson that I was able to carry forward. And, you know, I, I was responsible for numbers, but what that owner really taught me was looking at those numbers, but is also like, I mean, he had everything dialed in down to like the screws, you know, if you're allowed, you know, whatever the amount is a dozen screws to put together a furnace and coil, then you would get 12 screws. You're not getting 14 screws. Wow. The amount of registers that would be in a, in a home. Cause we're doing track work back then, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we pretty much have dropped majority or probably about 95% of the new construction stuff we don't do. So the only thing we do is, you know, some homes here and there, but I mean, it's just not a big part of it, but he really taught all that stuff. So if you had, you know, 12 registers in a house and you're doing a track of, you know, 10 houses and they're all the same roughly. I mean, you, you have 120 registers. Why did you have 135? Like you ordered, why did you order more? I mean, so everything was, you know, which is, becomes an inventory issue with your own company type of stuff. So you, you watch those types of things. We're not great at all that stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, learning it, but you know what you got to do. And 
again, I was chasing revenue, not profit. But then you look at it and go like, you know, wow, that material was super high. So, (laughs) you know, why? And then you start digging into them going like, well, maybe we put an extra furnace on that job because it was the wrong one and we didn't credit it back. So, I mean, all those types of things is the lessons learned from Mm -hmm. coming from a company that was very accountable. And I'd have to dig into the job file to find out why, what happened. And he, you know, he was a, one of those owners that was before, like, I don't know if you ever read that book, uh, Profit First, where you actually take the profit, you know, this is what you got to work with. And if you can't pay your bills after that, then there's something wrong, you better fix it, which is, you know, pretty smart yeah. uh, plan. Uh, difficult to do just because some things go wrong, but at the same time, it makes you aware of like, no, if I want to make just say easy math, 10% profit, then I take that 10% out up front. We don't do it that way. I'm just saying like, that's, it's a pretty genius plan that I'd love to get to that way. You always know what your profit is every month year and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, at least like commercial companies, they have a, there's, there, there seems to be a tendency for like, like large commercials, I guess what I'm getting at, like schools and hotels and stuff like that of excess supplies and material for for jobs you know in in 2014 i was an apprentice at a commercial contractor in virginia and like i had just gotten home from college for the summer and i was like uh they're like you start on monday so (laughs) i get there monday and they're like all right you're gonna be working in this warehouse for like three months so i get there and this warehouse is just like torn apart there's just stuff everywhere i mean boxes from ferguson everywhere you know like just pallets full of pipe fittings and hangers and i'm just like wow they're like are you gonna organize this stuff so like i spent i had someone helping me but we spent several months organizing this warehouse into like almost like the dewey decimal system like a library of excess pipes and fittings and hangers and stuff like that and uh but the amount of money that they saved once they started realizing we didn't have to order stuff for every single job. We already had it. Right. It, it was crazy. Yeah. It, it was, it was bizarre. So, and I feel like that's not always the case with, with residential because it's, I guess, you know, smaller jobs, less supply, but. Um, well, there, you know, there, which is nice about that part is the fact that you don't have to, you can mess up on one job, you know, versus mm-hmm. on a, a house meeting versus yeah. doing a, uh, you know, whatever, $100 million uh, high rise <laughs> courthouse or something, whatever it is, you yeah. know, the, the mistakes, you know, you can absorb it on one job versus one huge, massive job. Oh, yeah. So moving, so moving kind of into the we care side, kind of the main topic that I was wanting to hit on too earlier um, was some of this stuff with, with customers and, um, keeping them engaged with your company and then some ideas for, you know, kind of cross promoting services to them. Cause it's something, you know, a lot of, a lot of HVAC companies also do plumbing uh, or they also do electrical or some even they're just a full blown home services provider and they do crawl space encapsulation and all that other stuff. Um, so what are, what are some good ways that you all have engaged your customers uh, one to keep them coming back for you know your service year and year you know over and over again, but also been able to engage them into other services that you offer. You know that's a tough one because you know typically like our plumbers are separate from the heating and air side of the world, so 
And then if you're doing like we used to do, uh, we were doing solar, we're not anymore, but you know, so it, it, getting that cross selling can be difficult because they're all different people and they're only really, you know, not all, but you know, you're worried about yourself getting your job done versus cross selling. So, I mean, what we would do is, you, you know, incentivizing your people in the field to get a turnover, you know, that's whether it's in your own, you know, to get a service turnover to a sale, to get a turnover to a plumber to come out, you know, or to a solar lead or whatever it is that you do, windows, electrical, whatever that is, you know, spiff the person that's going to get that turnover from there. That's on the outside of the, you know, in the field type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then internally, you know, because a lot of a lot of the customers won't even know that you, oh, I didn't even know you did plumbing. You've been doing my heating and air for the last 10 years. And, you know, so it's important to do that. They're already their custom, your customer and hopefully they already love you. So if you can get them to uh, buy from you other items, you know, you don't have the competition. You're not worried, worried about the marketing to go after those people, but you do have to stay in touch with them, like you said. So, I mean, we're just sending out, you know, like there'll be Thanksgiving, you know, now it's easier because it's email before, you know, you're either calling or direct mail or something mm-hmm. like that. So now it is a lot easier than just what we were doing a few years back. So, I mean, if you put on, uh, you know, doing that newsletters about your company, but then also give them, give them a discount, 50 bucks off your next plumbing repair. And you just did a heating and air and you can hand the customer a card or send them an email yeah. about that cross selling that you're doing. You know, really, I mean, those are, just some simple ways to get back into the home. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, constantly saying what you do in your name and having it out there too. Obviously, if you're promoting it on a billboard or TV or whatever it is, I mean, make sure you're saying whatever it is you do. You know, we've always joked because the side of our building was getting longer and longer, you know, was <laughs> weak air, plumbing, heating air, solar, you know, and tacos, you know, <laughs> and it just kept going. I mean, we were selling windows and turf. Uh, we were doing a little bit of everything. Oh, wow. And then ended up just dropping it all and, and focus on what we do, you know, which is the mm-hmm. plumbing, heating and air versus all these other items. And the reason why we, I jumped into that is for one, that entrepreneur brain. But on the other side, we had a financing program that was able to that allowed you to write it off on your property taxes. So uh, that's basically went to the wayside. That doesn't happen anymore. So all those trades that everybody was doing. Well, for us, I can speak for us. You know, we just stopped doing them just because it wasn't one of our wasn't really in control of us. We were counting on subcontractors. So now we just yeah. do what we do. Yeah. So what what are some ways that you all um, keep your customers around like long term to be long term customers versus just having them for, you know, an install or to go and repair, you know, a running toilet? How do you guys keep them engaged in coming back, I guess, like for like a long-term period? I mean, maintenance agreements are the key to that. You know, it, to us, we have found it dip, more difficult to get it on the plumbing side to get a maintenance agreement to come out there. But we do it once a month. And this is another way to get back in the door. So, of course, we sell you a maintenance agreement on the heating and air side. You know, typical heating and air company goes out twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall type of thing, you know, if you can. So that way, you know, shoulder season, you stay busy also. Mm -hmm. But if let's say we didn't have a a plumbing maintenance under that same category, then we would call you up saying, you know, hi, Eric, this Rusty with We Care Plumbing, Heating and Air. You know, when you signed up for the heating and air maintenance, you've also got a free plumbing visit. You know, we're going to drain your water heater and check out all your faucets and so forth in the home and then just do a plumbing inspection, you know, on 
a separate maintenance agreement type thing. So it's like, okay, it's a free one, but it's only because we're not busy enough and we're looking for calls that we're going to send the plumber out to that home. Because yeah. if we capture, what you want to do is if you're going out on heating and air, you want to capture the age of the water heater or vice versa. If the plumber's out there, if they can take a picture and get the serial model numbers of the unit that's out there, then we can know that we know to market back to those people. So we mm -hmm. can get in the door with them on the heating and air side. Uh, so we're just sending out a free plumbing inspection, basically, even yeah. though they didn't, they didn't even know they had it because they really didn't. It's just a way to get in the door because our plumbers need work. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're looking for, or and, and you have a plumbing division at least, um, and you're looking for like the one little golden nugget to take away from this, I would say it's that is to include a, like a whole home plumbing inspection to your heating and air conditioning maintenance agreements. Um, because like Rusty was saying, like there's, there's so many more elements to a residential plumbing ecosystem than, than, uh, it does for, you know, heating and air because you got faucets and sinks and drains and toilets and water heaters and all this other stuff. And if you're on a slab, then that's a whole nother nightmare that the yearly plumbing inspection can help with. Um, and so, you know, offering that, even if it's like, you know, $99 whole home plumbing inspection or $88 free or whatever you want to do, getting in the door, you will typically either find something or at least be able to make your, your customer aware of an issue. And you can do the same thing even with the electrical side too. I mean, cause it's, you know, say you're just a, a heating and air and electrical, you don't do plumbing, but you do electrical or you do all the trades, all three of them. Mm -hmm. You could do the same thing or even a roofing inspection, whatever that trade is. You know, if you have, if you're looking for leads for your technicians to stay busy, send them out for a roof inspection, send them out for an electrical inspection. Uh, you know, Hey, this was included in your maintenance, whether it was or it wasn't, it doesn't matter because yeah. what I'm trying to do is just get my people in the door and then see if they can do anything with it. Maybe they can't. I didn't pay my bill. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. So really that's it. I mean, just, You've got to have the opportunity and you've already serviced that customer. And again, hopefully they're happy with you so you can get back into that home and, and you they'll use your company for all this, whatever it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, Rusty, uh, there's you know a few more things I wanted to hit on. Uh, we are big dog fans here at, at the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast. I believe that using dogs in your marketing is top five smartest things you can do. People love dogs. Um, anything with a dog typically does well in marketing. So, um, and I, and I've heard that you are uh, very, you have a, you have a dog that you use for your marketing as well. So what kind of inspired you to do that? And uh, how often do you engage, I guess, animals in your marketing collateral? So we've used the, uh, his name is Teddy bear. You know, he's a golden doodle. I mean, really, out of all the dogs I've had, this is the smartest dog. You know, I mean, he's, I mean, listens great. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of dog can go to the bathroom, both one and two on command? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, you're going to go for a walk. This dog's smart. You know, yeah. probably too much information, but I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> like, this dog is, yeah. goes outside after peeing and then comes running back in to get in the house and you just point your finger and he goes back out and does the business, you know, but anyway. That's awesome. 
I mean, like he'll, you can put, uh, you know, clothing on him or sunglasses or whatever it is. And he's like a, a paid actor that's, you know, not have to pay except for food. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's in a lot of the advertisement. I got this actually, I went to a marketing class. So to your point, you know, and it was a, uh, we named him Teddy bear just cause he's, I mean, it looks almost when he's gets groomed, he looks kind of look like a lion sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Poof. But uh, anyway, when he's a, a car dealership, a Chevrolet dealership, I think it was on the, uh, maybe that show, the profit with Marcus Simonis, if you've ever seen that show, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I, it was a Chevrolet dealership. I think it was from there. Maybe it was a conference, but anyway, they were giving away a, a teddy bear on every, uh, every car you bought, they gave you this bear, you know? So we started doing the same thing. I ended up buying a, a couple thousand bears, you know, had them our you know shirt, you know, with our name on it, you know, on the bear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would give them out to uh, potential customers or if we go to a, uh, you know, give them away at uh, children's hospitals or something like that. You can, you know, during the holidays coming up, we can give these bears away, you know, anything like chamber of commerce events and all that kind of stuff like that. And it has our tag on it, you know, made yeah. it's got we care plumbing, heating and air on it, you know, so, um, now it was a nightmare getting them. It took me like two years, but, you know, <laughs> but, and then we did a, you know, trademark on it and all that type of stuff. Oh, wow. Protect us, you know, from it because, you know, it was a, what was it? Um, teddy bear, was it teddy bear, care bear, something like that. So you oh, got the care bear. Bear. So it was close to the care bear thing, but it, we weren't even going after that thing. Cause it was a totally different look, but yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, the dog is a, friendly when we uh, he's not here every day at the office but when he comes in i mean one of the uh, gals came into my office uh, last week or the week before like seriously and she's like i'm mad at you you know type of thing and i'm like what what when's teddy coming in he needs to come in more <laughs> you know because i mean you just you can be having a bad day and you see the dog running around the office and it just makes everybody's day so yeah you know it, it, he's good for the culture you know they love having him here and again, he's a he's a very cheap paid actor. So, yeah, you know, it's it, it works. People love him. They yeah, want to see. Him. Give him a few milk bones, pay him yep. milk bones and and treats yeah. and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, Rusty, I, I appreciate you joining me today on the podcast. Um, what's a good way for our listeners to um, reach out and learn more about uh, your business? Oh, you can go to the, our website is wecareteam.com. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Rusty Cochran, you know, under the we care and then, uh, or email me at rusty at wecareteam.com. You know, either way, one of those three will, uh, should be able to connect me to it. All the information's on website and everything anyway. So, but anyway, awesome. Awesome. Well, Rusty, I appreciate you joining me uh, on the podcast this morning and, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day and an awesome uh, Thanksgiving. All right. You as well. And thanks for having me. Yep. All right. Take care. Okay. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you're an HVAC contractor in need of digital marketing services, contact us today at www.rivaldigital.com.